If it's the first time that you're visiting us this morning, we have a children's class for ages four years old to fourth grade. Uh, you're welcome to go ahead and meet the teacher out in the lobby there, and, and we'll go from there. But thank you. Amen. What a blessing to worship in song together. It's a wonderful gift to the church and certainly prepares us as we now turn to God's word and worship him as we study his word and learn from it. And then by his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. And I, I love that phrase that Pastor Josh included there in that illumination hymn, of course right from the pages of scripture, but that desire, that, that request, we would see Jesus. It's a blessing, isn't it, to be able to open the pages of scripture and see Jesus there? But my, won't it be something when we see him face to face? For all of eternity. What a thought. We have that hope. Because Jesus. Not only made disciples. But then. Commanded. Directed. Us to go. And make disciples. This is our focus in these days. To guide us. To instruct us, to exhort us uh, for the next season of ministry and beyond. It's not that we haven't ever done this before. But certainly we, as temporal beings, we, we're reminded, we talked of this in recent days. We, we need the reminder. We need kind of that, that refresher, that, that nudge to get back with it. To maybe approach it afresh and anew. To renew the commitment to doing what we've been commanded to do. My son who pastors over in New York is beginning a series this morning on the book of James. And we were talking this week and I said, well, I said, one thing's for sure. You've heard all of your life, James 1.22. So, uh, you know, and he's like, oh, and I've already in instituted that here. They hear it every week from me too. So, <laughs> But, you know, we... James, obviously the Holy Spirit knew, and as the, the church was just beginning, the Holy Spirit directs James to write to early Christians and says, listen, thankful for grace, obviously, without grace we're hopeless and we're helpless, but there still remains the expectation of obedience. And so he exhorts the early church to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It is a blessing that we have the opportunity and the great privilege to come together like this and to hear God's word read, to study it. Trust we will never take that for granted. We all know there are places around this globe where this could not happen without a real problem of outside interference. Reality is we have some within our own congregation who've lived that. Most of us, vast majority of us, just can't even imagine. I, I've shared with you before and the, the privilege I had some years ago of, of preaching 
uh, for a while in Romania and how unworthy I felt to stand by in the pulpits of some of those men who had spent long weeks, months, some of them years in prison for nothing other than sharing the gospel, for preaching God's word. And we have this privilege. And so we come before God's word, and I trust we come, uh, as we have just said, we would see Jesus and help us to see him, help us to hear from the Holy Spirit this morning, and then give us the grace to go and do it. Because again, to to make disciples, to be disciples, to be in the process of discipling, to mature people uh, as disciples. It is something that Jesus has ordered. He has commanded it. He expects us to do it. Jesus directed that it be done. But he also demonstrated how to do it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Over and over again, and we have, and we're going to look this morning at some more, there are pages and pages within the Gospels where Jesus is showing the disciples, it's preserved for us here, showing then us how to do what he has called us to do. I've been told that in med school there's uh, an old saying with some procedures, uh, watch one, do one, teach one. (laughs) That's probably some oversimplification, I don't know, As that we've got some doctors too, maybe they would be like, no, that really is, or, but it's kind of the, the, the idea. We, we do, we, we, we watch through the pages of scripture and through obedient believers that have come into our lives, we watch what God has, what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit has directed us to do. We go and then we do it. We are obedient. We are doers of the word and not hearers only. But then there's yet another step. And that is to help others do it. We, again, another passage we quote quote around here all the time is from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. Where Paul lists those four generations and he is exhorting. He is discipling Timothy, his son in the faith. And he says, what you have seen and heard of me, teach others that they may teach others also. Four generations. Paul's talking about, he's like, Timothy, I discipled you. Now you disciple others who will then disciple others. People that Paul would never see. People who would never see Paul. And here we are gathered this morning because... There have been a long line of believers obedient to this command to go and make disciples, to be disciples, to to be making and mentoring and maturing disciples. Jesus showed us how to do it. He demonstrated how to do it. So this morning I want us to look at another couple of passages and the, what we call the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. As we consider how Jesus continued this process of discipling and, and demonstrating this to us. And in Matthew 10, if you want to turn there. Here is another episode where Jesus is doing just this. And says, Matthew records here, which of course this for him 
he's remembering back, I remember this day. I, I would love, wouldn't you love to talk to Matthew? I mean, he's recorded it in, in pretty good detail here, but wouldn't you love to, to be able to talk to him and, and him record for us or recall, yeah, I remember. He gathered us all around, and then he started talking, and then all of a sudden we realized what, what he was happening. We're looking at each other going, oh, what? <laughs> there had to have been some level of angst. I mean, what a, what a group. We know, you know the group? Fishermen, tax collectors, political activists. These were not seminarians. These were not Pharisees. These were not, you know, trained speakers, theologians. He writes, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon who's called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. They're all there. Let that sink in for what's about ready to happen. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who's worthy in it. Stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He goes on and he gives them a few more. He gives them some warnings. He tells them, I'm sending you like sheep in the midst of wolves. You know, he says, this is where it says, you know, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. He gives several other instructions here. But what I want us to understand and what I want us to grasp here this morning is there came a point as Jesus had demonstrated how this discipling process was to go, there came a point where he gathers the 12 around them and he goes, guys, it's time for you to go practice this. Now he gives them some parameters, and again, there's a lot here that we, you know, you could just preach a whole series through this one passage, but there's a lot here that he gives. He gives them some, some guidelines, you know, he tells them where to go, where not to go. There are limitations placed on it and, uh, and so on and so forth. Again, you have to, when you interpret these kind of passages, you have to look at it and go, okay, that Jesus was giving that particular direction to this particular group. You cannot take out of this passage and you go, oh, okay, so I'm only supposed to go to a certain ethnic group. That was for them at this time. Because the end of Matthew's coming, right? And he says to go to all the world. 
So, you know, there are some really basic biblical interpretive, you know, rules that you've got to follow in this. But for them, for this particular event, he gives them these guidelines. But primarily it is two things. He's, he's preparing them. They don't even, it ain't even dawned on them yet what's ultimately coming for, for their lives. But he's preparing them to go make disciples. And primarily there are two things that happen when that, when that occurs. You proclaim the gospel and you minister to people. That's what they are sent to do. And the amazing reality through the, that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus continues... To invite sinners into a redemptive relationship as disciples. I said last week, the invitation that Jesus issued to the disciples wasn't just to tag along. No, he invited them to a, with a life-changing purpose in mind. He told them, he's like, I'll make you fishers of men. And we too are to invite people into a discipleship relationship with an eternal purpose in mind. We are not doing this just so we can fill up this room. If God chooses to do that, praise him for it. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to make disciples. To, for, for them to have their lives eternally changed. In his book on this subject, Discipling, Mark Dever wrote this. He said, discipling others is doing deliberate spiritual good to help people follow Christ. That's a great simple definition. Doing deliberate spiritual good to help people follow Christ. Not to help people show up in this room on a Sunday. Or live just exactly and do just exactly that. No, to follow Christ. True discipleship, though, is not limited just to instruction. Because instruction or sharing of information is just a piece of the process. It's a very important piece. It's a necessary piece. But discipleship is not a one-piece puzzle. Some of you are probably puzzle people. Several months ago, I guess maybe it was Christmas, we, we got Lily, our granddaughter, a puzzle. And I don't know, there's 20 pieces or something like that. She's four, okay? So that was pretty good for her. Oh, she's all about it. When she visited us uh, a week or so ago, she went and found that thing and she had it on the floor and she put it together. But you get a, a puzzle box and you look and you're like, how many pieces is this? And if you're like me and it says, you know, 4,700 pieces, you're like, nope. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes. And is it all gumballs? Even better. <laughs> but you've never bought a puzzle box and it said one piece. By definition, a puzzle's got to have at least two. <laughs> Discipleship is not just a one-piece puzzle. It's not limited to, to the classroom, as it were. It's not just about, hey, show up on Sunday, you know, we'll like open up your brain, pour in information. Okay, there. 
Like we said when we started this, it's not come to this class for six weeks and we'll give you a certificate at the end. There, you've been discipled. It's important. Instruction is there. That's why we have God's word. That's why there are people called to preach and teach God's word. Jesus poured into the lives of the twelve day in and day out. Then there came a day when it was time to send them out to do, to make disciples. Last week, we looked at the first couple of ways in which Jesus demonstrated discipling of of others. He invited and he instructed. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to how uh, how that was continued. As he also entrusted and then empowered them to do it. To carry out, to carry on what they had been taught. To, as we've said, to go and to be doers of the word. So let's look at this. And and again, go ahead and let's put that up there and remind us. Jesus invited and instructed. That was last week. He extended personal invitations. We looked at some of those. Uh, They're pretty profound. Uh, Mark Dever again says, discipling necessarily involves initiating. It is not passive. Again, I, I love that statement because we, again, we, we like to just kind of sit back and think, oh, like maybe through osmosis or something it'll just happen. No, God could have done it any way he chose to do it. He chose to do it the way he's told us in his word, and it involves, yes, an amazing work of the Holy Spirit that boggles the human mind. But he has also called us alongside of that to preach, to teach, to share the gospel, to be a witness, to then invest in the lives of new believers. It necessarily involves initiating and it's not passive. Like I said, we looked at some of those invitations and not all of them were accepted. Maybe some of you this week extended some invitations and they were rebuffed you're in pretty good company because a lot of the invitations Jesus extended were rebuffed as well as we went on last week we also then looked at how he instructed there are passages that deal with that his teaching his just literally sharing information but then also his his preaching his his heralding and and proclaiming Jesus spent countless hours instructing his disciples. He taught them by word. He taught them by deed. Last week we we were reminded he he taught them when they were really eager to, you know, to learn. Lord, teach us to pray. He taught them when they were distracted, when they were wandering off looking for lunch. He taught them when, when they were resistant. But then Jesus took it to a whole nother level. He then called them together one day And he entrusted them to go and do it. This is a level, honestly, that far too often it is not done by believers today. It's probably all kinds of reasons. But the reality is there are are many situations, many cases in which this doesn't happen. The reason is because it, as the word says, it takes some trust. 
it also takes a lot of time. There's had to have been a lot of instruction. Then you got to like trust them to go out and you know what? They're probably not going to do everything just right. They're not going to do everything just like you would do it. Yeah, they might say it a little bit wrong. Yeah, they might be a little bit, you know, rough around the edges. Oh, well, what will people think if they find out that I was the one who taught them and that's how they did And so we don't entrust. I think you've understood for the last several years here in our ministry that this is, this is key to us. We are all about entrusting the next generation. I want you to look here in Matthew 10. There are some key words, and we're just going to go through this rather quickly. Notice in verse 5, he says, go. Go. You can't disciple people, you can't make disciples if you're here with me. Jesus like, you're making disciples who will follow me. You guys are there already. You've you got to get out of this comfort group. You, you've got to get out of this nice little area and this nice little group that we've, you know, we just kind of know. We've got our system. We've got our routine. No, he says, go. Go. Now, again, like I said, he, he gave some, some barriers, some limitations. Those are going to be lifted in the coming years. But then he says in verse 7, proclaim as you go, right? Isn't that interesting? There's another go there. They're like, oh, well, well, can't I like just sit here and tell you what? Let's just all get some, you know, let's all get some quills and some parchments and we'll write and we'll send letters together. No. Proclaim as you go. That, that is, again, that same word, that, that being a herald. By, again, they understood the word. By definition, proclaim was, I, they're not sharing their own message. They're sharing the message of the one who sent them. They are a herald. An ambassador. In verse 16, beyond where we read, he gives to them a warning. Guys, it's not going to be easy. I, I just want you to, um, full disclosure... I'm sending you out like sheep to a, a pack of wolves. That's not a pleasant thought. Then in verse 24, it gives some perspective to it all. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. I'm not asking you to do what I wouldn't do and what I haven't experienced. And of course, he knows what he's going to. And then we get down... Probably turn the page or look over the other side or something. But you get into chapter 11 where it kind of flows from there. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to what? Teach and preach in their cities. He led by example. Okay, calls them together, gives them their instruction, gives them the marching orders, sends them out. And then he just sits back with his feet up on his desk going, whew, I got a few days off. No, I got stuff I got to do. I got more people to pour into, to disciple, more places to preach and to teach. 
in the companion passage in Luke chapter 9, he tells them very simply and very succinctly, proclaim and heal. Preach what I've taught you, what I've instructed you, and minister to their physical needs. That's all part of it. When you begin to really sink your teeth into that, really dig into that, you realize, wow, that, that's a lot. Like two words, but that's a lot. Yes, it is. That's why God didn't call us to do it by ourselves. That's why even in the example, he calls them out, calls the 12, and he sends them out in pairs. I realize that there have been on occasion, there may still be those unique times where like one person is sent to go to a, you know, some specific place or whatever. The lion's share, the vast majority of times throughout the pages of the New Testament, though, the example are pairs and or groups of people. Because we need that. We need this. Our coming together on Sunday mornings, obviously, first and foremost, is to worship together. To be an active participant in worshiping. Again, we, we say around here, worship isn't something you watch, it's what we do. But that, that strengthens us, that encourages us to then go out from this place together and do what God's called us to do. A few years ago, uh, the staff and the deacons read together a Christian classic, Training of the Twelve by A.B. Bruce. Now, I will tell you, it is a heavy read. It was written in eight, first published in 1871. But I would encourage everybody, it ought to be in your library. The Training of the Twelve by A.B. Bruce. I first read it my freshman year in college. It was one of my textbooks. Um, since then, I've read it a few times. We read it together and discussed it together with, with staff and deacons. Um, it is probably one of the most compelling portraits of the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Bruce, when he opens the chapter on when Jesus sends the disciples out by twos, he says this. The twelve are now come before us as active agents in advancing the kingdom of God. Having been for some time in Christ's company, witnessing his miraculous works, hearing his doctrine concerning the kingdom, and learning how to pray and how to live, they were at length sent forth to evangelize the towns and villages of their native province and to heal the sick in their master's name and by his power. This mission of the disciples as evangelist or miniature apostles was partly, without doubt, an educational experiment for their own benefit. But its direct design was to meet the spiritual necessities of the people whose neglected condition lay heavy on Christ's heart. The compassionate Son of Man, in the course of his wanderings, had observed how the masses of the population were like a shepherdless flock of sheep. Scattered and torn, and it was his desire that all should know that a good shepherd had come to care for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The multitudes were ready enough to welcome the good news. The difficulty was to meet the pressing demand of the hour. The harvest, the grain, ready for reaping, was plenteous, but the laborers were few. You see... Jesus 
that Philippians 2 passage where Paul captures it all, that Kenosis passage, Jesus had come in flesh, laid aside some of the privileges and glories of heaven, had limited himself to some physical, uh, physical things and, and barriers. He couldn't be everywhere at all times. He had to make disciples, then he had to send them out to go and do what they've been taught to do. He couldn't stay. Thank God he didn't stay, right? Because where is he right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you? And so it, so it has gone for the generations, making disciples. And the disciples did exactly what Jesus had taught them and showed them. When Peter wrote his epistle to the early believers, he reminded them, and I'm sure it was out of his own life experience. He, Jesus, this is 1 Peter 2.21, left you an example that you should follow. Jesus instructed, invited and instructed, made disciples. He then entrusted others to make disciples. Follow that example. Peter had been there, front and center. He had seen it. Again, we all realize that we're talking about Jesus and he was perfect. But he was also setting the example that was to be followed for millennia. There's no ego. Jesus didn't feel threatened. One of the greatest challenges facing us is that in the dark places of our heart, we become jealous, we become insecure. The student might excel the teacher. Awesome. Awesome. After 30-something years in ministry, I've had some wonderful privileges to, to do my best to, to mentor and disciple some younger men. I hope they excel. I hope my ministry pales in comparison to theirs. For God's glory. I'm not jealous of this pulpit. I protect it. I guard it for fidelity, but I'm not jealous of it. I love when I get to sit out there and listen to Pastor Josh preach or, or some others. That's what we're doing. That's what Jesus has instructed us to do. We must call upon the power and grace given by the Holy Spirit to overcome these, these feelings of, of, well, maybe they'll mess up and maybe they'll, they'll even do better than me. And No, he gave them clear direction, he prepared them, and then he sent them to go do. Put it into practice. That passage in Luke 9, again, it's really brief, but it tells us that the disciples did just what they had been taught. He said, go proclaim and heal. And like two verses later it says, and so they went and proclaimed and healed. <laughs> oh, that we would be that obedient. They went where they were sent. They ministered to those in need. Discipleship is to go from person to person, from generation to generation, from age to age. 
We too must be willing to entrust those whom we are discipling. Were they perfect? Nope. Did they make mistakes? Yep. But here we sit. Think about this. But here we sit this morning. Fruit of their labors. That's what the church is. Taught by and trusted by Jesus. We sit here this morning. We are in that line. And we have been entrusted to continue the work of making and maturing disciples until Jesus comes to continue that line. It's not for our own glory. Not in our own way. We've got the playbook. We've got the instruction manual. And a more perfect demonstration could not have been given to us. We must, however, be careful not to fall into the trap of the, you know, going through the motions. Just doing a program. Now, here, here's the reality. We're going to talk about this. You, you know this is coming. There, there have been great discipleship programs. There are others coming. We're implementing one here in the, in the coming weeks. As temporal people, that's all of us. We need the help that comes through schedules through programs, accountability that those things provide. We need that. But we must never forget. We must never forget that any real work in making and maturing disciples comes only through the power given by the example of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. We must never forget that. Jesus invited, Jesus instructed, Jesus entrusted. He also empowered and continues to do so. Writing a book, reading a book, showing up at the appointed time, filling the schedule, doing. That's not the secret sauce. Nothing worthy comes outside of the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. God helps us to never forget that. We need the stuff. We need the tools. We need the program. It helps us because we're, we're frail people. But as we consider all of this, we must, of course, then look finally in the book of Acts. You know the verse well. Acts 1.8 the angel said to the, the, the assembled disciples, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You will receive the power. We know the day, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. That's what happened. Since then, we don't have to wait around. The moment of salvation... The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Well taught throughout the epistles. We have, if you are a child of God, you have this morning the Holy Spirit residing in you. You've got the power. You are empowered to invite, instruct, and entrust. You got what you need. 
a few minutes, we'll close our service by singing the hymn, O Church, Arise. The fourth stanza goes like this. So spirit come, put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Oh, church, arise. Go make disciples. Invite people into this relationship, instruct them in the truths of God's word, and trust them to go and do likewise. Do it in the power of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus gave the final examples in Matthew 28 to go to all the world, he also said to them, and lo, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me ask you this morning as we close. Who did God use to make a disciple of you? Remember that person, that Sunday school teacher, that friend, that, that co-worker? Thank God for that person. Thank God for that person who invited and maybe instructed and then others who came along and then ultimately entrusted you to go and do the same. We, this summer, we had, again, our summer community groups. And they, they're always a sweet time. And uh, I didn't ask, but I know they won't mind. I'm going to share a little bit of Tromas' story. Because I just love it so much. We hosted a group one night at our home. And, and it was the Tromases and it was the Eldridges. And it dawned on me as we were sitting there, we had the most senior group in our congregation and the most junior in our congregation um, together. And I asked the Tromases, I said, I said, because I knew the story, I said, share your story a little bit with Michael and Bethany and Ethan. And they did. Do you know how they, became, how they came to know Christ as 20-somethings? <laughs> How they became disciples? Mrs. Terelmas' boss kept giving her Bible verses and kept sharing the gospel with her day after day after day. And through time, she's sharing them with Mr. Terelmas, and they're talking about them as they're dating. Yeah, they dated. And they're realizing. We don't get it. Then Mr. Troma showed up here for some midweek services because he was a good Catholic, so he had to be at Mass on Sunday. But on Wednesday, he'd come here for Bible study, and so he did. And the pastor who planted this church more than 60 years ago, one Wednesday night, back there, what is now the chapel, that was just that tiny little cube, that's all that was here. Took him downstairs, and the room is still there. It's been 14 things since back then. At that, that time, it was the nursery, and he took him in there, and he opened God's word and led him to Jesus. And Mrs. Trelmas got saved, and for over 60 years, they've been serving the Lord, making disciples. 
Her boss shared the gospel. Her boss made a disciple. Who did God use in your life to make you a disciple? Will you follow the example, obey the exhortation, and go make disciples? May God find us to be faithful in following his instruction and doing the work he has called us and trusted to us empowered us to do. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that makes it so plain. Father, we also admit that we visit passages like this and we are confronted we have not been as faithful as we probably should have been with this through the years. But in your grace, you continue to do your work. You've left us here. You, you continue to call us to entrust this to us in this place at this time for this hour. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior.